This is episode 3 of season 2 of Kenya's Blueprint. It covers why a social pillar is important, how it is applied, progress made so far, and lastly, the challenges. Human social interaction forms the basis of our families, our governments, and by large, the economy. For a country with diverse and rich culture, a lot was set to be covered by targeting welfare projects and programs. Our success as a country is dependent on the well-being of every single citizen. As a citizen, do you believe the education or training received is of quality? Are you getting the best standard of healthcare? Are you supplied with quality sanitation and clean water? Is your environment clean? Are you living in decent quality housing? Do you experience equity in comparison to your fellow Kenyan? The social pillar focuses on investing in the people of Kenya in order to improve the quality of life for all Kenyans. The sectors which make up the social pillar are education and training, health, environment, water and sanitation, population, urbanization and housing, and lastly, gender, youth and vulnerable groups. Culture and arts were introduced in 2017. I look at a correlation between the social pillar with the political pillar which we covered in the previous episode, where an almost perfected execution of the political pillar strengthens the social pillar. Actually, the concept of these pillars was meant to work this way, where they complement each other, and in a case where one is weak, there's a risk of a collapse as they are dependent on each other to keep the house balanced. Now, let us head back to the initial days and hear what informed the need to have a social pillar from Professor Wainai Nagituro. And then there was a, the social pillar. Uh... Uh, and that is investing in our people. The, the, the thinking was you cannot really look at all these pillars without having the human capital. And uh, health, very important. Housing, you know, sports. Uh, you're looking at uh, environment in terms of uh, the, the five towers, uh, Badeas and all that, uh, Mount Kenya, Cheregani, uh so that, that, that was now another pillar in the social pillar. And thirdly... Uh, According that, to Transparency uh, International Kenya, 45% of Kenyans were unlikely to re-elect their incumbent governors in the 2017 general election. After the election, out of the 47 first-term governors elected in 2013, only 22 were re-elected. Kenyans asked apart from politicking and trying to retain the seat in 2017 election, what other tangible social development did they bring? How was education improved? How were the hospitals improved? Was the state of housing improved? Or what creative ideas were brought forward to develop our social well-being? With these questions, a few individuals were to be replaced. Kindly note that only using the governors does not mean the MPs, women representatives, senators, and MCAs performed exemplary. With a poor political pillar, the social and economical pillars are bound to be poorly executed. For this episode, the first sector I will look into is education and training. It is inevitable to acknowledge the good number of enrollment in our learning institution. This has been seen from the years after independence. In 1965, Primary school enrollment surpassed the 1 million mark as compared to 800,000 back in 1963. Kudos to such rapid progress. 
But what of the education quality? Under the education and training, Kenya is to provide globally competitive quality education, training, and research. Reducing illiteracy is the overall goal. This is to be achieved by increasing access to education, improving the transition rate from primary to secondary schools, and raising the quality and relevance of education. Kenya's adult literacy rate by 2019 stood at 81.53%. This is according to UNESCO. This literacy rate was on an upward trajectory prior to 2019. One of the other goals in the education and training sector was to achieve an 80% adult literacy rate. We did surpass that target. Another goal that brought about a fascinating discussion a few weeks back at our office corridors was increasing the transition rates to technical institutions and universities from 3% to 8% by 2021. By 2019, out of 47 counties, six counties, Mombasa, Kwale, Isiolo, Tana River, Lamu, and Samburu registered below 70% transition from primary schools to secondary schools. This is according to the Ministry of Education. There was always a cost for the push of a higher transition rate based on our current system. The Kenyan policy on the transition rate from primary to secondary school was 100% transition by 2021. The government scrapped the 9,374 Kenya shilling school fees which each public student, who is a day scholar, was paying yearly. A good way to go about developing the economy and individuals, isn't it? But I see the same analogy or mindset applied to the transition to tertiary institutions, but a much less focus on the quality of education given. The unemployment rate in Kenya and the lack of required skills in graduates speaks volumes of this. So earlier this year, Treasury CS Ukuri Atani stated that the state will no longer keep funding public universities at least not fully. Is this a sign of misplanning? Is it time for a re-evaluation of funding in public universities? Having Professor Wainaina Gituro speak to us this season was amazing. What was more amazing about this was the fact that he has had a hand in various topics that we covered. Education is one of them. For someone lecturing, researching and supervising in one of the notable universities in East Africa, what is the relevance of education to society and what is being done right? And where are we failing? Let us start off with funding. Uh, it's interesting when you raise that area because uh, I've done such tremendous work uh, as early as 1995 of uh, funding higher education. Uh, this, is my, this is my motto, and I'm not very popular with the particular university where I'm one of them. Uh, the government should fund more basic education mm. because we're addressing two things. There are more social returns at basic education uh, than private, and but there are more private returns at the universities. And if this came to my mind as early as 2006, we had a common old minister of education in uh, Cape Town. I was presenting a paper there through the late George Saitoti, a really useful man, and Professor Karega. And when I went to London for this other discussion, I could go to the station, Adam Ground, and I would read number, the train, this number is coming at this time. I'm like, would my mother manage mm. that? So basic education is so important because you address issue of health. You address how you can take care of yourself. So the government has a responsibility in almost funding basic, and everybody getting an opportunity to go to school. 
Now, the, as we move up the ladder and had that model, I shared in Addis with Adair, African uh, Association of Ed Education. I shared in that in, uh, in, that in Addis. Uh, and I was saying that we need to reduce the funding as we go to the higher level. Mm. As public funding. So it's decreasing as you move from there. But for private funding, we need to see huge at the higher level mm -hmm. and reducing as you come to the basic. Now, what will make the private sector come in is government appreciating the private sector is helping in a certain responsibility. And therefore, there are certain incentives we can provide to the private sector. So if it's like uh, somebody like uh, this who runs the, the Liara School, mm -hmm. David, uh, sorry, the Daniel Kachukia. Mm -hmm. You know, Daniel Kachuki has taken responsibility even at the primary level for government because he has private schools. Yeah. And you and you and I can afford. So what he's saying is instead of all these children crowding the public school, I've taken some of you. That is somebody we should recognize. Mm. And he has gone up to the university. Yes. So for the funding model is fundamentally, and I have a whole about 30 pages in a 2006 commission which was established, and I wrote on the financing of the university education, we decrease yeah. as you go up. What, so who comes there for? We need, why, what's wrong, what's wrong with it to be easy to say about building university in Nairobi and called Safaricom mm -hmm. complex? They have taken off your balance sheet a lot of funding. That. What would be wrong? Of the universities, particularly the university I come from, you, they have Almost 40 worth of billion of land in Nairobi, undeveloped. What we don't come and say, I want to go in private partnership with you. And I'll give this example, I'll give you. There's a private, there's about 10 acres near the Muru Golf Club. Mm -hmm. Fantastic, I'm telling you, Dixon, for a conference facility. KCC is not a conference facility, a proper conference facility. Come with the private sector, develop it, let them develop a hotel, don't run it. As I even don't, because that's not your business. But they do the mother who's giving you a check. University of Dar es Salaam have done with the Minimani city. And you get into a, a, an arrangement, the first few years you'll be getting a lot of money because you're recouping. After 30 years or 20, it comes back to me. If the University of Nairobi, for example, want to take their staff there for training, don't worry. Don't pay me. Oh, I'll, I'll reduce the check at the end of the month. So that, those are areas. And the other thing is, which I perhaps need to, and that's why I, I support government in terms of reduced that, is the private sector, the university, the industry. That linkage. Who are the benefits? Who are the immediate beneficiaries of those grants? It's the private it's the, it's the industry. Yeah. They should take more role. But for the public, for the private sector to take more role, we must welcome to our academic curriculum. We must, they must tell us the pedagogy. This is what is challenging the industry there. So even when they have sponsored graduates, they know they are addressing something in the industry. We have this, this parallel route that the university exists with, the industry is there. We have to find that. Mm -hmm. That will take off a lot of expenditure from the university themselves. And also, and I think we are, we, we are dinosaurs, we need to also leverage on efficiency. Mm -hmm. 
You are graduating very fast in Nairobi. Yes. I can tell you you went through hell to get the gown, to do what, isn't it? I could even have done it when I'm here. Yeah. So there are certain limitations internally we can look at. Uh, also, we focus that our university is more in terms of knowledge, skills, enhancement, as opposed to the other stuff we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Like when we, we COVID <clears throat> hit and we went online, really, I didn't need anybody. I think even today, I probably don't need so many staff. So those are the things we can look at. But, but let me know, I should not be got, people should not get me wrong. It is important to have that high level of skills. Mm -hmm. But they must be community driven, it must be industry driven, it must be addressing the needs of the country. Mm -hmm. That to me is very, very important. And funding, I'm telling you, my brother, you don't even have to worry about exchequer. There's a friend of mine, and you know him by Professor Demo. Yeah. When he was a PS, it was very interesting. He said, I don't want more money, but give me this, I'll jump start and I'll give you money too. And uh, the head of public service, King Yakunoda, because I know the man we're talking. But every other PS is saying, I need more money. That narrative has to come to an end. You need more money, demonstrate to me what you need to do and what you get from that more money. If I bring you 10M, if I give you 10 million, and you can bring me 20, I'll invest in that. Even in government will do that. Mm. But you cannot tell me, give 10 million because I've enhanced stuff, I need to do my recurrent. Oh no. Oh no. The recurrent is never a development approach in it. Mm. So how do we kick in? in terms of supporting. And that's something uh, universities have not done very well, have uh, pushed. Uh, right now, they see like some of us are rebels uh, because we are saying there should be less. But I think if I was seated where Magoha is, and I think, I hope he sees now, he was one of the proponents and activists that government is killing us. If you ask him today, probably he has a different view. Mm. Fundamentally, fundamentally Dixon, we need to ensure that everybody gets an education. Whether it's up to the technical, whether it's up to the secondary, primary, that's, and that's why NAC 203 really declared the real, real free primary education. Mm -hmm. But that will require a lot of funding. And you know, education is consumes. The returns come down the road. So you also need to be very careful. You cannot be giving, I don't know how many billions to agriculture, and almost four times, to sectors like agriculture, it's my parting shot. If you cannot feed your people, you have no business running in government. None. None at all. Because I will not go to school. I'll get sick. The focus on increasing the number of institutions with no emphasis on quality is not fair to individuals going through the institutions. Every year, we have university graduates enter the job market but many of them go for years without securing a job in the field that they specialized in. What does the common Mwanainchi have to say about this? Uh, probably um, this is a result of the free education that is being offered. I mean, it benefits people in that everybody has access to education. But at the same time, uh, we are not hiring enough teachers to balance this out. So you find one teacher is uh, has... A crazy amount, a, a crazy number of students that they take care of. And so with that being watered down like that, there is no focused attention on actually achieving. So there are so many junk graduates 
because uh, it's uh, basically I just need to come to class, teach what I teach, you know, without really focusing whether these people understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and so I think uh, we produce a lot of young graduates, and probably that's why most are not able to get jobs. And then I think our education is more geared towards theory. We are not as practical as is required. So you get an IT graduate who uh, you tell them, okay, here's a laptop, show me what you can do. They are not able to do anything. But then ask them, what is a database? They'll quickly recite it for you. So yeah, I think that is also one of the main challenges. And then I think we are not being taught to be self, uh, self, uh, pro like being self, uh, I would say, sort of being proactive, yeah? Whereby if employment doesn't work for me, what else can I do to actually, uh, what, what is my passion? What can I do that uh, will enable me to uh, probably uh, live a better life? There has always been a hue and cry about the employment opportunities. Of course, I would also be able to want to be able to have a, a, an analysis of those that have gotten into various offices and opportunities, having been a product of the system that we are currently having and not delivered. And then we can be able to come back and say, I think it's right papers. But again, having said that, I would also want to be able to look at the education that is being offered vis-a-vis the employment opportunities, they are not commensurate. And so we're having people out there and they're trying now to venture into something totally different from what they studied just to be able to make ends meet. I have to say this, there are two sides of this correlation. One time someone told me that we have two types of individuals that come out of an education system or process. There is one that will solely use that knowledge learned and there's another that will be open to branching out or maneuvering depending on their situation. Now, whether the government or the private sector has failed or not, that is a conversation I would like to explore another day. What I would like you to have a moment to think about, or a moment to have an open mind about is, is the recipient doing enough with what is being provided? Here is one parent who looks at the students themselves as the first fiddle, and issues like the quality, teachers, infrastructure, or any other elements trailing that. Okay, mambo ya shule. Uwezi la umu mwalimu. Mwalimu ikiwa amepewa ile kitu inatakikana vile vifaa ataitumie atafanya kasi yake mzuri. Kibarua kubwa iko kwa mwanafunzi. Mwanafunzi tuseme amelalanja. Ato kimpeleka pale shule. Yeye ameamuka ameenda kule akiwa njaa. Hata kifunzwa vizuri na mwalimu. Some of the flagship projects that are aimed at in the education and training sector are building and fully equipping 560 new secondary schools to accommodate the increasing number of graduating students from primary schools and establishing a teacher recruiting program to employ 28,000 more teachers. These two were part of the 2012 projects. The project progress report by 2020 shows additional achievements, a total of 610 million was dispersed to 248 schools to develop 342 classrooms, 74 laboratories, 
and 148 water sanitation and hygiene facilities across the country. The teacher's subject in Kenya has always been featured in our news from time to time. A couple of weeks back, I was reading one of our dailies, where the legislators are pushing the state to be paying a refresher course, a course that will inform teachers' promotion and professional growth. This course is supposed to be mandatory. The MPs asked the Teachers' Service Commission Chief Executive, Nancy Masharia, to prepare and submit a legal framework that would enable the government to foot the training bills. Constant locking of horns with teachers and the government has at times bore fruits, but more changes can be made. Curriculum review and reform introduced in the education sector was a major step towards Vision 2030. This, together with integrating ICT into teaching and learning, a system that goes for competency with frameworks such as theoretical approach, critical thinking, and creativity is key in a society that is constantly evolving and changing. The implementation of this was and still is a demanding process. Curriculum reforms are generally demanding as it is costly. High investment in training and capacity building for the teachers and acquiring of new material. On the other hand, some people will be uncertain of their intended outcomes. Human beings most of the time resent a change in the status quo. The competency-based curriculum first launched in 2017 is geared towards the provision of a more quality education system as imagined in Kenya's Vision 2030. As it stands, we need more investment in the training of teachers and hiring of more, improvement of the state of our classrooms and other school infrastructure, and investment in more learning resources. Uh, maybe I would say I would be able to give very unfair judgment. Uh, I haven't interacted with, uh, with the CBC so much, but I'm just listening to what the concept of the parents are, are talking about. They're saying it's a very good thing because the kids are becoming more practical, of which I would be able to look at back at it in the formative years of the 844. I think there was the, the class 8 that people were doing crocheting, they were, you were doing baking and all that stuff. I don't know how effective it became. We did some, uh, what was it, carpentry, masonry. I think those people who never proceeded to probably the universities or not, they went into those uh, tertiary colleges. I hope the CBC can be able to have a continuous assessment of being able to see is the kid getting the concept that we're doing. So it was a move in the right time, but I think there has to be a, a very deliberate continuous assessment to ensure that the kid is the one undertaking that. So that by the end of it, we can be able to look back and say, I think this kid is right. He has done it. He can be able yes, to Yes, uh, I have taken a bit of time to actually look at it. Um, uh, I think it has its advantages and disadvantages in equal measure. But I think the thing that I like about it most is the fact that parents are more involved. Yeah, so it's not uh, what you used to see before where you take your kid to school and you forget about that. You know, let, let the teachers raise them for you. So nowadays, the parents have to be more involved. Uh, they are given assignments where the parents are actually involved. And you notice even nowadays, for you to actually take a kid to school, the parents have to go for interviews, yeah, just to see if they are right fit. So the same way companies are doing, we want to see if these employees are right fit for us. And the same way the schools are doing, we want to see if these this kid and these parents are a good fit for us as a school. Of course, there's a backlash to it, but then I think uh, that whole proactiveness that is bring, putting parents accountable is really key. Improving the health sector is key to improving the social pillar. 
the Big Four Agenda, a development blueprint developed by the government to foster economic development in response to its citizens' sentiments and expectations, features universal health coverage as one of the four pillars. Under the first medium-term plan, we saw a number of flagship projects started and a few programs implemented. Model health centers were constructed in 201 constituencies countrywide, free maternity program, NHIF expansion, and beyond zero. By 2020, additional achievements included improvement of Kenyatta National Hospital and Moi Teaching and Referral Hospital. Over 1 million expected mothers were registered, and over 700,000 deliveries were recorded in the NHIF program. I would say, like, uh, for the Uhuru government, I think it, uh, there has been a, a tremendous progress uh, with, with the, the maternal health, uh, especially with also upgrading of the most of the hospitals, but also bringing on board new facilities. In terms of the NHIF, uh, I think we still have we still have a long way to go. Uh, there are so many uh, schemes that have come. There's the Linda Mama, especially for those women that are pregnant and. Uh, going for delivery, it has really helped. Uh, it's, it's a very subsidized cost for those women that can accept the government hospital uh, to, to be able to give birth. I think there should be uh, a scale up on the NHIF. Uh, I think with the increase of the amount, I think by the time it was, uh, they are still paying 340. I think it's 170 to maybe uh, the, when it goes 340. Right now, is I think that's 500 on a monthly basis. For the common monarchy and the state of the economy right now, it is still challenging. I work in, in a sector where we are trying to wrap up that, especially for people that are having chronic illnesses, so that that can take care of their uh, medical bill. But as it stands right now, sometimes the NHIF is only able to pay for the bed, which still is a very struggle for those people that are trying to make ends meet. So in as much as I would say they have made a lot of uh, strides in the right direction, but there's still so much that needs to be done. Um, <laughs> I think it's easier. Yeah. Uh, it's easier to run, uh, whereby uh, the reason I, re- uh, I actually prefer private is I might not have liquid money with me at any given point. But just the fact that I have that card, I have that private insurance, means I can get treated uh, to whatever extent that my card has limits for. Right, but then when I go into a public system, of course it's cheaper, right? But then the service might not be as advanced as uh, might be uh, might be needed for that particular case. Yeah. Welcome to Trinity News. I am Carla Ruth. We have breaking news coming from World Health Organization headquarters. I am joined by my international correspondents Kelvin and Stacy in Geneva with more on this story. Hello, Kevin. The World Health Organization declares COVID-19 a global pandemic. The contact tracing process is initiated for isolation, screening, and testing. It is also crucial that awareness and education are done. Information about the symptoms and health measures that will reduce infection, such as social distancing, is passed around and emphasized. Months in, some quarters saw some government decisions as geared towards catching straws. Others saw a reluctance in effecting proper measures. The government should always be present to ease the effects of any pandemic. 
These are the two examples out of the many that we witnessed. Inadequate supplies of PPEs or critical equipment such as the ventilators for respiratory support. Implementation was badly done well in regards to response to this pandemic. It is sad that the pandemic dented our hopes as well as the path towards achieving universal health coverage with the loss of 2.3 billion in the Kemsa scandal. I think there were so many lessons to learn from COVID-19. Uh, I think we should have a very, very composed and a sober head, uh, especially when we are faced with issues. And of course, I, I know the Kenyan way. And so some of the things I look back and I see some of the things that we undertook and did when in the initial stages, they were very barbaric, they are very inhuman. The way we handled people was very unfortunate. Of course, it was a deadly uh, disaster. By then, we did not have inf sufficient information about it. But I think we did not handle it very right. But I think as time progressed, I think we, we became a little bit very sober. But again, the Kenyan way, uh, people felt like uh, there was some double standards. People felt like, ah, Ikitu, this thing that you're telling us is not there. So it's like uh, a way of just being able to say, Visuisi ama kinga hile yaani vitu kwe izuie tu gonja kuenea saidi. But kwangu nezosema tasingine siyamini kama hii ugonja ilikuwa. Nasikia watu wamepanyua vipimo wamepatikana watu hii. Sijawai paku utata na mtu ananyambia hei leo nataka ni kufanyie testing. Ama sijapata rafiki yangu hapa aseme jana nimefanyiwa testi nikapatikana nayo huwa siamini lakini tukikuja sasa masuala ya hii pesa hii unaisikia tu pesa imekuja ya kusimamia hii mambo ya covid kufika nayo au iwezi kufikia I think we laxed a bit in taking action. Um, we saw what was happening around the world. We didn't take time to actually cover ourselves. We waited until the first case was here for us to actually start taking things a little seriously. I think we would have had more controls uh, probably at the borders. Uh, to prevent it, but we didn't do that. We we tend to wait for uh, we tend to wait for something to get broken for us to fix. Note that there's a silver lining, but a part of me feels stupid for having any hope. The pandemic should cause a re-evaluation of our health sector. It should help us see what loose nuts need to be tightened: more bed capacity, accessibility to healthcare centers, and vaccination. Kenya plans to fully vaccinate 70% of the population by the end of this year. Let us hope this is achieved. The social pillar is also quite extensive. We choose to look at education and health for this pillar. Coming up, I will have a summary on other areas and sectors that this pillar touches. We hope to have an extended version with many episodes to cover topics that we did not look at extensively. One important one is housing and urbanization, which hopefully we can work on because it's an important conversation to be had. Additional achievements under the social pillar include Kenya banned the use, manufacturing, and importation of polythene carrier bags in 2017, rehabilitation and reclamation of various forest land in southwest Mau, Masai, and Laikipia to protect our water towers, establishment 
plus the implementation of waste management and pollution plans. For gender, vulnerable groups, and youth, there are plans in motion. Plans such as mainstreaming gender where the needs and interests of each gender are addressed in government policies, plans, and programs. Social development measures by the government are aimed at elevating the well-being of every individual. This means making an investment in your people. We have looked at housing, health, education, and other sectors. Based on our breakdown, do you see the investment in your life? Be the judge.